Um, Marshall, hold on a second. The battery on my monitor died. Okay, do what you got to do. I just got to swap it real quick. It's just his monitor. That is the problem. It's not a big deal. Stan is dealing with it. He's pretty good, and I can see him on the camera. Stan Prokopenko and his monitor, he's fixing everything. And we are happy, we are sitting, and Marshall's gonna sing. And Stan is almost done with what he's gotta do. I hope he's done. Is this battery dead? Oh, man. Battery dead. Yeah, Sean gave me a dead battery. It's Sean's fault. It is Sean's fault. Sean. All right. That was kind of cool. It was a lesson in foreshortening and wide-angle lenses. <laughs> wow. Was it a lesson? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good morning. Good morning. Do you want to start with some jibba-jabba? What is the jibba-jabba? Cut out the jibba-jabba. Don't be babbling like a fool. It's just us talking about nonsense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's start with the jibba-jabba. Yeah. Uh, I haven't talked to you in hours. In hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. It's an overcast day in my neighborhood. How is it there? It's overcast. It's beautiful. This is scintillating opening conversation. This is horrible, Marshall. It's great. What has happened to you since our last stay-at-home podcast recording? No events to speak of. I still haven't been to Home Depot. I'm still trying to repurpose (laughs) everything. I'm uh, spending a lot of time going through stuff to see what will be useful in this next wave of life for online teaching. Almost everything has been about online teaching. To suddenly not go out five times a week to classes, to suddenly be doing them from home was a major shift, and it's still not completely done. Everything's working, but it's not completely done. So that's where most of my energy has been. Okay. How about with you? I still haven't gotten a mountain bike. I started doing research. Yeah. Okay, but that's been in your plans, is to buy a bike. Yes, and I've been watching watching videos about all the different types of bikes, what features do I need. There's so much to it. And then also just studying up on like safety. Well, seeing you on that balancing board where you spun around and did a 360 has so impressed but- me with your athletic prowess that I just imagine that if you got a mountain bike, you'd hop on it and be doing all that. <laughs> Stuff, wheelies and all that other stuff. Did we not cut that out? It's an upcoming episode, but we will okay. not edit that out. Well, I haven't reviewed that video. Now I'm worried that you say it's impressive, but it's actually really embarrassing. You won't be impressed by it because of your extreme <laughs> humility. But to me, it was awesome. Okay. Normally, I don't feel self-conscious when I'm here in my own home. Uh-huh. But right now, I just started to feel a wave of it. Started to feel the heat of the lights little sweat cropping up. Honestly, I don't even see your face. It's it's just a white blob because it's your your laptop yeah. camera is so overexposed. Yeah. I think you should get a screen grab of that. <laughs> All right, let me try. Got it. Yay, that's exciting. In reviewing the podcasts that we've recorded since January 2020 before all of the issues began of lockdown and that kind of thing. Mhm. We did not do voicemails. We did not do what's our thing. We just did it sort of all railroading along on how to design your own art school with your friends or alone, but preferably with friends in your home in and for way less money. (laughs) Okay. You don't need to pitch it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, let me shorten this. We spent all of our time talking about how to do art school on your own. We did not take any voicemails. Right. So it's time to take some voicemails from you because we've got a stack of them. We got hundreds. Yeah. So we're going to do three episodes where it's dialogue with you via voicemail. You, the people. Yeah. That's today's episode and maybe maybe a couple more to come. Yes. We don't know where we're going to sprinkle these in. Yeah. You want to just jump in, Marshall? I'm I'm ready to just jump in. Yeah. All right. Let's see how many we can get through. Okay. Hi, Stan. My name is Tim, and I have a question that pertains to figure drawing and gesture drawing. I'd like to know, 
the time spans between one and five minute or, or ten minute poses, should I be trying to study the figure as much as I can in that time, or should I be using the longer poses past ten minutes or more to study the figure and the forms and all of that? I uh, was really confused, so if you could uh, enlighten me on this particular line of uh, logic, I'd appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's a big question. Yeah, it's, I'm getting that if it's one to five minutes, what do you study if you're studying figure drawing? When he says studying the figure, I'm not quite sure what he means by that because it could mean so many things, right? Like, I'm, t- I'm going to guess that he means studying the anatomy, studying yeah. the body. Mm-hmm. In one to five minutes, I'm guessing he's a beginner because he's confused. Uh, you should not be studying anatomy. Uh, you should be studying gesture and structure, very, very simple things. Um, things that you can draw in one to five minutes. Right. You know, drawing muscles and tendons and bones um, on a full figure in one to five minutes is almost impossible unless you're Jeff Watts. But, you know, if you're a beginner... <laughs> It's, it's impossible. You, you, and, and there's no point of trying. You're just going to be very sloppy about all the anatomy. Yeah. And there's no point in being sloppy about it. You're just going to get bad habits. And so, in one to five minutes, you do things that you can simplify down and you can draw in a few lines like gesture or a cylinder for an arm. Um, thinking of Bridgman. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That anatomy is, if you're talking about the whole figure, and I do think it's a good idea to when you study the figure, put a good deal of energy into the whole figure, proportionally, top to bottom, front to back, left to right. Studying the individual parts is important too, but starting out with that holistic set of proportions is wise. And Mm -hmm. proportion is an early study to know where the halfway point is from top to bottom, to know the proportions of the bones in relationship to each other because the bones don't change their proportions. But then to take the next step from proportion to what happens when a two-head length bone called the humerus, your upper arm bone, what happens when it turns toward you, when one end comes forward, it shortens, that's foreshortening, and almost all of these bones will foreshorten. So, to study proportion and then to study how the proportions change when something tips toward or away from you or swivels away from you is a wise five-minute investment over and over and over. And then the third thing I'd say, since you're wondering where gesture comes into this, is that when you do that and learn to do it accurately, you can end up with quite accurate but very stilted poses. So, somewhere in those early one to five minute studies, you would want to have somewhere you did not care that much about proportion, about foreshortening, or even necessarily about bones. You would want to be concerned with where the weight is. And again, I can think of nobody that does this better in their uh, anatomy book, their artistic anatomy book, than George Bridgman. That's why the appeal of his drawings continues with so many people over the years, in spite of the fact that those drawings are terribly unimpressive to most beginners because they look so sloppy. But when you look at his poses, even though he's got a lot of the same poses over and over, he is always aware of which foot the weight is on. That if somebody is twisting their body or bending their body so that the torso, the upper torso is coming together with the lower torso, he's aware that it's crunching in there and there's pressure in there. And that the other side is stretching out and the skin is stretched out. That is, those are gestural concerns. And they have to be separated, I think, in your training between when you're learning proportion and anatomy and form. And I'll say one more thing. Because it can be done in five minutes, you can do brief form studies 
where you see how quickly you can pose a mannequin with a rubber band around each limb, with a rubber band around its torso, with a center line on it, the way animators do, where there's just a center line that's a north to south pole line in the front, an equator line around the transverse portion, and then maybe a north to south pole line that goes uh, east to west, goes left to right. And to do those rapidly and not accurately, but just to remind yourself that that's how this thing is spun. You look at the anime, when animators do that, they do not do it that accurately. They just do it enough to know that a head is facing this way, this way, this way, you're looking up at it or you're looking down at it. Those are worthy one to five minute studies. That's a category of worthy one to five minute studies. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of people, when they start getting into gesture, they think that there's like one specific thing that they're supposed to be doing during these one to five minutes. That like every artist who's practicing it is thinking about the same thing and there's one goal in mind here is to draw the like this figure. Um, but it's not like you got to think of quick sketch as just an exercise. Um, it's it's You're just practicing and what you're practicing depends on you. You could say, okay, in these five minutes, I'm going to think about gesture. And that's it. Just gesture. Where's the weight? Where's the tension? Where's the stretching? What's the story in the pose? Um, you know, what's happening? And I'm going to do this in a simple, uh, simple few lines. Um, and I'm not worried too much about form. A little bit because sometimes with gesture, you have to show some form to, to tell the story. Um but I'm not like drawing a full-on mannequin with the cylinder for every limb. So, that's one thing you could do. Another thing you could do is you could think about just simple forms. Um, another thing you could do is you could think of just value, like a, a five-minute value study where your, you know, proportion and gesture and all that stuff is always kind of in the back of your mind, but your focus in those five minutes is capturing the, the light and the shadow contrast, the shape design. Yeah. Right, that's that's another thing you could do in those five minutes. Um, it, you could think of so many other things. You could just focus on edges or something, or or mapping core shadows, um, or you could do anatomy. You know, some people do focus on anatomy in five minutes. For a beginner, I don't recommend it unless you you maybe pick one body part, and then that's a lot more approachable. If in five minutes, do an arm with some anatomical indications. Um, but like when you say, what should I focus on? It, it depends on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like going to the gym. What should you focus on? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you're working <laughs> on. Um, but don't, you know, don't jump into something that you can't do in five minutes. You know, don't lift too much weight, be, uh, without a spotter or something you know like five minutes is five minutes there's there's things you could do in that time 10 minutes is 10 minutes an hour study is an hour study you're not going to do a gestural study in an hour that doesn't make sense but you could do an anatomy study you could do a shading study rendering form so give yourself some freedom here to figure out what you need and and do that it, there, there's not like rules here that are defined that you have to follow in what you do in a five minute quick sketch. And there's less risk in doing a bad drawing than if you don't have a spotter lifting too much weight. But hey, I wanna run with uh, one of the things you mentioned about just a value study, just a tone study. Mm -hmm. People that wonder, well, how do I study composition? And there's more than one way to study composition, but one thing that's very important about composition is being able to see your composition as an abstract pattern of light and dark, apart from subject matter. That is fundamental. Howard Pyle made a big deal of it, said that it took several years of learning to do that. Okay, well, that means that when you are doing a value study from the figure, granted that you have a figure that is lit with good single source lighting. If you have a figure that's lit so ambient that it starts to destroy that division between night and day, uh, Get good single source lighting and 
look for the dark and light pattern. And here's the thing. You're not studying composition here, although it can sensitize you to something you'll use for composition later. You're studying light and dark on the figure. And what you want to really understand is why the light parts are where they are and the dark parts are where they are. Robert Beverly Hale made fun of uh, students who would meticulously copy a light and dark pattern on the model's torso. And it was the cat sleeping on the skylight, casting a shadow onto the torso. <laughs> Apparently not aware that that was not... I suppose you could get some use out of that because it could create cross contours around the figure. But the idea is that some planes face the light. Some planes face the light less, and they are usually treated about the same lightness. And then some planes don't face the light. And just to divide that light and dark difference and notice that there are form shadows and there is form that receives light. And then one other thing I'd throw in about the light and dark studies is that things cast shadows. A nose will cast a shadow along a face, a chin across a neck, a limb across another part of the body. And those can be useful too. Again, Robert Beverly Hale points it out a lot that Cast shadows can help define a form by wrapping around it. But you know, there's a few pages in Bridgman where he turns the figure into molding. And in turning it into molding, he shows you this part of the molding faces the light. This part doesn't. And so all you've got to do is think planes toward the light, planes against it, and it might cast a nice little shadow that I can design into a shape that makes it look good. That's a worthy pursuit in five-minute studies. And it goes beyond anatomy. Okay, here's what I've been doing. For the last month, I have been pouring myself into the individual Bridgman books and this new fifth edition of Bridgman's Complete Guide to Drawing from Life because I want to finally, not being a figure artist, I want to finally get good with the figure. And the, the one teacher who excites me about that is George Bridgman. So my plan is by this summer to design a George Bridgman figure drawing course that is accessible for beginners and also useful for people who know Bridgman inside and out. Uh, I'm hoping to do that online rather than in a classroom since that's where everything's going. So if you're interested in that, we're gonna do everything we can to make it affordable and to make it worth your time. Is this a workshop or a course? It'll be somewhere in between. It's not going to be a seminar Interesting. where I just teach. It's going to be something like 12 sessions at two hours a piece stretched out over a month where there's mm. homework. Uh, okay. So that you'll be working on things. And if you only have an hour or three a week to do homework, you'll still get something out of it. But if you had 12 to 20 hours a week <laughs> to do homework with this, I think you'd benefit from it way more. I'm going to do everything I can since... You already know my opinion that if you really want to learn figure drawing, go to Stan's course on figure drawing because he's got assignments in there that are very specific. You don't even need to ask, what do I spend one to five minutes do, to do? They've got, uh, right. He's got assignments in there. Uh, but then since it only touches on Bridgman, I want to take the Bridgman book and really unpack all the lessons that are in there uh, in, a one, in, in one month. Because if we did it in one week, it would not be enough time to assimilate it. Yeah. If we stretch it out over three months, some people can't make the commitment. I think three times a week uh, for four weeks would, would be a good way to do it. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. Keep, keep in touch with Stan or with me. We don't even know whether we're going to do it. We don't even know how we're going to do it yet, but it's in the plans. Well, I guess this episode won't come out for another few weeks. So, we'll just like, we'll put it like a little... We'll inject a little audio bit right here with more information. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Pow! Here it is. I told you we were planning figure drawing lessons from George Bridgman. It's a plan for July, but exact dates are TBA. If you want details, subscribe to my email list right away at martialart.com slash subscribe. And be sure to respond to the confirmation email or you won't hear from me. If you're on my list, you'll know what you need to know to spend a summer immersed in a George Bridgman course with me in 2020. Martialart.com slash subscribe. Okay, I there hope that go. helped. There's Marshall's workshop coming up. Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to go to the next voicemail? Yeah, let's go to the next voicemail. 
All right, this one's number eight. Wow, this is an old one. Voicemail number eight. This is from when we first started. First inviting voicemails. Wow, this one just never has never been gotten to. Hi, Broco. This is Jordan. Um, I am a young artist. I go to West Georgia, and I am studying graphic design. I'm having a lot of problems right now when it comes to finding who I am as an artist and finding my inspiration. And I just feel like I'm just copying other people. I've been pretty good at what I do. I draw. I used to paint. I won my first art show, whatever, juried art show, was my very first drawing. So I got it, but I just don't know what to do with it. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know. I just feel very lost. I have talent. I can draw. Where do I place myself? I just feel like I've, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I need your help. I need you guys' uh, comments. And I want to impress people with my art. And that's not good. I feel like I should express myself with my art. And I don't know how to do that without inspiration from seeing other people's words or I don't know. I can't really explain it. So if you can help me out, I really appreciate it. I love listening to your podcast. I'm actually listening to it right now while I'm drawing. So thank you. Okay. I got a bunch to say. What do you? Do you? I've got a bunch to say. <laughs> <laughs> One that I've got to jump on. First of all, Jordan, you, Jordan, right? I think so, yeah. Jordan, you didn't say how old you are, how young you are. And I well, he's in college, so in college, okay. I am, yeah. I sense that you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself, yeah. and putting pressure on yourself has its good sides. You know, you you won't be easy on yourself, and you'll work harder, and you'll do better. It's got its downside, and you are expressing to us your downside. But one thing you made one statement in there that I want to jump on because this is an important one: is that you want to impress people with your work. Every one of us wants to impress people with our work. Every one of us, unless we've got something really wrong with us, wants to yeah. be liked and admired. It is natural and it is human. Uh, it's not unusual, but if we, f if we look at that too much, it starts to create an, a spiraling negative cycle of self-consciousness that makes us do worse work. And I think that if you can go into the mode of not caring at all for periods of time, for part of your practice, with exploring and playing and making it so that you're happy with it, uh, I sense that that might be the medicine, the exercise you need a dose of, because I would jump on that. It's natural. I want to impress people with my work. Everyone listening to this does. But when that starts to get inflamed, it can work against you. Can I jump in? Yeah, jump in. So, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to impress people with your work. He said, I want to impress people with my work, but I shouldn't. I want, I should Im just impress myself. Or I, should, I forgot exactly what he said. I, I should just be happy with what I did or whatever. I don't know. I think there should be a balance. I think you should be trying to impress people with your work. It de it also just depends on what kind of artist you are. If you're just going to like fine art and and you you're you know it's all about like this is me, this is who I am, you know, then yeah, sure. But if you're an illustrator or you're you you said you're a graphic design major, your your whole job is impressing people. You're, you know, if, if you're illustrating a book and nobody's impressed with your work, no one's going to buy this book. If you're a graphic designer, you're designing things for other people to enjoy. Yeah. You have to impress other people with your work. So, it's okay that you have that desire. Of course, you want to also be happy with what you you do. Um, and so, when you, when you are thinking about impressing other people, you, you have to choose who it is you're impress, impressing. There's so many people out there, right? So it's like you can't impress everybody. So, you have to be specific with who you're trying to impress. What type of person? Who is your demographic? And it's nice when your demographic aligns with 
your own taste, right? Like you are part of the demographic you're targeting. When that aligns, then it's great because you're impressing yourself and you're impressing other people. Um, what else did he mention in there? What else is in, in Jordan's? In the beginning of his message, he was saying how he feels like he's just copying other people. Uh, and, and he doesn't know who he is. He wants to find himself. I think copying other people is exactly how you get there. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, choosing your art parents in the first season. We did. Yeah, you're doing the right thing. You don't know who you are yet. You got to explore. You have to try out different styles. And you got you do that by looking around, seeing what you like, trying that style, see if it fits your personality. And just, yeah, just keep keep walking, keep pivoting. Just don't stop moving. Um, as, as long as you're, you're doing things and you're trying out new things, eventually you will kind of start pivoting towards the right direction and then you'll know where you're going and you'll start running in that direction. Right now you're lost, you know, you're, you're, you got a map, but you're not sure where to go. Um, but just keep adjusting and don't worry about copying other people. That's what artists have been doing for thousands of years. That's what, that's what we all do is we build upon Previous generations of knowledge, previous generations of, you know, cultural movements and just we we grow as a society, not as an just as an individual artist. So, don't worry about studying other artists and copying them. Eventually, you'll get there. You're, you, you're young. Don't expect to create some revolutionary style that'll be purely you. An expression of yourself. That's just not realistic. Since you're in college and you've already been through adolescence and you know what puberty is like from experience, you also know that when you were a certain age, you would look at people who were older and wish you could be that way. And you will be that way if you continue just doing the things that it takes to get there. Nurture and exercise being two important ones. And when you are looking at graphic designers you like, I have some students who are taking a class in the history of graphic design right now with Michelle Don Vito. And I have one of them it is, that is reporting to me regularly what they get from her class. And it is so thrilling. I'm, I'm being introduced to graphic designers I didn't know about. And it's making me wish I could have my whole life over again to be a graphic designer. And the glorious work that happened through the 20th century with graphic design is so exciting that, Jordan, I should think looking at that and aspiring to be a grown-up like that or whatever era you're interested in, that's part of what can create enthusiasm. And then there's going to be frustration. There's going to be frustration because... You want to impress people, but you also want to express something that you've got in yourself. You're trying to find the balance between those two things. And I think that looking at the artists you love, and then when you really know that you love them, pouring yourself into them, absorbing everything that they've got to offer, noticing what they do with edges and outlines and overlaps and simplicity versus complexity and where they put things in the picture plane, uh, doing it with another person is really nice, too, where you start to discuss it. And then doing your homages. This should be more fun than it seems like it is to you. And I do think that you put your finger on what was the issue, is how much of this is to try to impress my audience and how much of this is to express the ideas that I've got. Well, now we go back to what we dealt with so much in the first season, which is this is not a technical problem. This is emotional. This is being down on yourself. It's being too hard on yourself. It's it's finding that balance between doing a good job and trying to make it enjoyable to do a good job. I don't know what more to offer under the circumstances, Jordan. I'm going to go to one of the, the, the last voicemails we have on here. Voicemail number 158. Hey, Stan Marshall. This is Luca from Georgia. I was curious what your thoughts were on the Bark drawing course. Bark, Bark, I, I don't know. Um, I've always struggled with observational drawing and getting the proportions right, so it seems like it might be a good route to go if I want to improve that, but I'm kind of worried about only being able to draw from photographs if I really get into it. 
any advice about this or this method in general would be really appreciated. Thanks, and I hope you have a wonderful day. I can be brief. Okay. I don't know enough about it to comment. It's It looks beautiful, and people I know that are really excited about it do some beautiful work, but the reason why I don't know that much about it is the same reason that you are having reservations, is that I just didn't want to draw from observation uh, and make that a specialty. I did it when I was in high school and early college, and I got I grew tired of it, so I, I never pursued it. Stan, do you know it? Yeah, I didn't do intensive study of it. I did mostly life drawings. The, you know, I was I went to Watts Atelier. They don't do the Bark method very strictly. Um, they refer to it sometimes, and they take they show some diagrams from Bark, but. Um, it is purely, yeah, an observational skill development sort of thing. It, 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 it It's kind of a progressive uh, thing where you develop one skill, then another one, then another one. And it's very useful for what it is. If you want to improve your observational skills, go ahead and do that. Um, but what's his name? Lucas? Luca. Luca. Um, yeah, if... But you already know the danger of it. Like, if you want to be able to draw from imagination, this won't give it to you. Uh, but so what? You can you could practice drawing from imagination with other exercises. Just just think of it for what it is. It's an it's a it's a system or a, a method of improving your observational skills. There's so many other skills you're going to have to develop as an artist. And so if your observational skills are one thing that you want to develop, then do it. I don't know why it even came up unless it fits with your goals. Yeah. Getting your education is like packing for a journey. It depends in what you're going to take depends entirely on where you're going to go. And if this is useful for you, I think the ability to see proportions and to measure angles and mm -hmm. to name values is valuable for anybody who's going to do pictures. Uh, but how much of a dose of that do you need? Yeah, it depends on how much do you want to learn to render. Yeah. I think you, you'll you'll get very good at, sh uh, yeah, shape, edge, value, rendering halftones and stuff like that. So, if that's an important thing that you want to learn, then yeah, go through it. Um, I know that Stephen Bauman teaches it. Does he? He's an amazing artist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he uses Barg. He uses Barg, but not just Barg. Right? Okay, like, right, right, right. It's just one thing. It's one thing. So, yeah, balance it out okay. with other stuff you want to do. You just okay. got to remember what the purpose of it is, and it's not the only thing you're going to do. If it is the only thing you're going to do, then it's the only thing you'll know to do. <laughs> and that's dangerous. Somebody said, if all you're trained in is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it's <laughs> yeah. better to have more than one tool available to solve problems. Yeah, cool. Did, did we cover Ready? this? I think so. Okay. I, I feel like that answers his question <laughs> okay if it doesn't if it doesn't uh we'll move on anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> too bad uh all right hi there my name is tiggy and i'm an aspiring artist who wants to begin my formal art education and my question is this as art teachers yourselves, do you have any advice for people like me that want to pursue a career specifically in teaching art? There's so many conflicting opinions on what the best options are, like art school versus university, for instance, and I'm wondering if you both have any opinions on what path is the best for, for someone focusing on teaching, maybe at a high school level or higher, rather than being a full-time artist. Thank you so much. I've gotten so much value out of the show so far. I really enjoy it and appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Well, if she wants to go into high school, she's going to have to get a teaching degree, right? Or, or some kind of credentials and, and she's going to have to have a bachelor's at least. The way it works around here is you have to have a bachelor's degree to teach in high school typically yeah. and a master's degree to teach in colleges. So, that's the first thing, which is not advice you normally get from me. Get a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Go through college and do all that because that's going to have to be done at some point anyway. Or if you want to focus on teaching and not getting, not just like going through some program, getting a piece of paper, you don't have to teach at an accredited college. You can 
become a really good teacher, good artist and teach at ateliers or private schools that don't require degrees. Like, you know, Marshall, you do you have a degree? I've got an associate arts degree. But you, do, you don't have enough to teach at a high no, school. I've got a two year so junior they, college They would degree, reject right. you as a high school teacher. That's right. But you're a teacher <laughs> and you've right. made your living. Yeah. Do it mostly teaching. Yeah, most people don't want to do it that way, though, because it is problematic. It's uh, universities do not like they have to apologize for teachers like me uh, because I'm the guy <laughs> that doesn't have the degree. And, OK. And uh, I'm, I'm in pretty good company. But yeah, I would say that if, if the desire to teach people art is the thing you're really excited about. That's the thing you want to do. That that would be the first thing I'd suggest is choose a school where you admire the people, where you admire the teachers who are who love teaching and are going to help you to be a good teacher if you haven't already done that. And then the other thing is just like you choose art parents, you can choose teacher parents. Robert Beverly Hale is really strongly a teacher parent to me. I was reading his introduction to Richet's Artistic Anatomy book, rereading it. And he is so clear and so gentle in giving the most compact uh, thoughts to a person to whom this may be a beginner, uh, to a person to whom this is new, that I fell in love with his teaching in my late 20s, early 30s, and felt like, okay, that's one guy that if I can teach as well as him, I will have done something well. And to make a list of those. Uh, and of course, some of them may be people who you don't have video or recordings of. They may just people be people who are really good teachers in print. Norman Rockwell's book, How I Make a Picture, Rockwell on Rockwell. Uh, he is a champion teacher. So there's one thing you can do is adopt your favorites and then reverse engineer how they go about their structures of thought, how they go about their delivery, how they go about how they went about the, the political atmosphere, because that's one of the things you'll deal with if you're teaching in a high school or a college. And there's a lot of disaster stories of people who were really good teachers but they did not belong in the university. Uh, Thomas Aikens comes to mind. Howard Pyle also left Drexel because he just got, he got sick of it. Uh, I think, you know, we can name a lot of them like that. Anyway, I'm going on and on. The point is uh, getting, a de getting a degree and finding some art parents who explain things well, and then finding your own style, videotaping yourself can be really helpful. Uh, if you're ever feeling like you might be a little too cocky, sometimes watching yourself on video <laughs> is the greatest yeah. reality check yeah. for, for yeah. how other people perceive you. And uh, that can be brutal, but it also can be useful to make you a better teacher. My general advice, and this is for the interest of your students, this is because I, I care about the students that you're eventually going to teach. My advice is to focus on becoming a good teacher. It's not necessarily to get a, a degree in order to get a job at a high school, which, yeah, that, that might be the path, but I wouldn't, personally, <laughs> I wouldn't focus on that. You could choose to do that as well, but your main focus in your daily, daily, you know, daily activities should be on getting good at teaching, like in the ways that Marshall just said, F studying other teachers, studying how they structure their thoughts, that kind of stuff. Because whatever it is that you do, whether you're an artist or a teacher or a dancer or a writer or whatever it is, get good at that thing. Don't figure out what is the system that's going to get me the job. Figure out what do I need to do to become the best at this thing I'm going to do. So, get good at teaching. That's what your focus should be. And even if you don't get a degree and you're a really good teacher, you're going to find a job. Marshall, like think of the best teachers you know right now. The ones people try, try to study with. 
Well, think out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Stan, I was just sitting here. I'm I'm looking at my screen admiring what you were saying because I thought, yeah, that's the best answer is the first thing is you have to be a good teacher. And oh, by the way, you'll probably have to get a degree. Uh, And since a degree is an investment of four to eight years, then you you may want to do it in a good environment where you're really happy with your peers. (laughs) But the, the most successful teacher I know personally is you. And you oh, didn't... thanks. Well, but, that wasn't what I was fishing for. But, but, yeah. but it is true. Not, no, you, but not yeah, but like... You, you are making a better <laughs> living than any of the teachers I know in colleges. And you did this by focusing on... I remember talking with you about when you were working on the figure drawing course, you were focused on the quality of that course. And gosh, I, I feel great that I'm making you feel uncomfortable. No, let's get away from me. Everyone's going to think okay. that I'm fishing okay. for... Uh, yeah, I know. I'm not... The, let, let's stick to the the real answers here. People like Steve Houston and, and Glenn Vilpu, the ones that really yeah. made a difference yeah. in a lot of professional artists' lives. They don't teach at universities. They didn't go through this traditional program. They got good at teaching. Yeah. That's what their focus is. So, if you, Peggy, want to make a difference in people's lives by teaching, mm-hmm. get good at teaching. That's really what it all comes down to, is that you have something that is of quality enough to offer it, and people will say, I like that, I'll pay for that. And, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen to universities and colleges, you know, 10, 20 years from now. You're yeah. going you're, you're to go down the system that you don't know if it's still going to be the same in a few decades. Yeah. Or in a decade even, you know. So, focus on the real goal here. Um, and I think you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, we've gotten some questions in the comments before that were seriously written questions about how we go about preparing curriculum. And I like talking about that. Most people aren't interested in it. Students typically aren't interested in it because they, they shouldn't be interested in it. They don't want to know how the teacher does their job. They want to know how to do their job. But that would be worth devoting a podcast to, to talk about some things that we've learned. I don't want to take the time to talk about ANZVA uh, here, but to take five or 10 minutes to unpack that and to show how trains of thought and uh, emotional Well, we have a whole episode planned on teaching. Let's carry through with a whole episode yeah. on preparing curriculum and preparing classes. Okay, let's listen to this next one. Hi guys, uh, my name's Cougar. I'm from Vancouver. I've been training myself how to draw since oh, February. And I made quite a bit of progress. I've, I've picked up the Bridgman book. I've got a, just a ton of books on drawing and anatomy and, and whatnot. But the issue that I've been having is uh, pen pressure and uh, my grip, really. I project on both a sketchbook and on my Wacom. I kind of go back and forth depending on you know, just the day. But mostly I was curious as to how you guys got better control of, I guess, your, your pen tip, your pencil tip. My lines never really turn out the way I want them to. And I'm not sure if that has to do with the actual size of my graphite or size of my uh, pen tip on the computer. And I also noticed that, you know, I'm always gripping my pen way too tight uh, just to try to get the lines that I want. But when I loosen up, I also don't get the lines I want because it's just so messy. Um, so, I think you guys had any tips on kind of that balance between and grip. Thank you. I think this question can be answered in like one sentence. Go um, ahead. You, 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 you've been drawing since February. <laughs> it, you know, it's like... Um, it's like a basketball player who just picked up the bas- the first basketball in February saying, you know, my the, my balls just don't go in the hoop. What do you do? You yeah. know, uh, well, you keep trying to throw it in, you, you know, and we could tell you exercises you could do, but it's going to take years. And um, the best way to get there is just mileage. Get so comfortable with the pencil because you just you do it so much that you it's just part of your hand now. Yeah. You know, like how did you get comfortable using your fingers? You just used them, right? Like you were a baby and you were like trying to like move around and you were very awkward at first and then eventually your brain made connections and got better and better and better and you you got this dexterity. Now you have this pencil that you hold in a weird way maybe um, or 
you know, the only thing you really know how to do with a pencil is write very specific shapes, which are letters and numbers, right? And that's the only thing you know how to do. But now you have to do all these other shapes and you have to use the side of your pencil now to shade and you have to ha- figure out pressure sensitivity because, you know, before you you were using only one one pressure to write and that's the one thing that your hand knows how to do is that one specific pressure. Um, you just got to keep going and keep doing it and and realize that you're going to get better and better slowly, but you're not really going to be good at it for a few years. Yeah, Cougar. It's, 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 this has got a little bit of the, I have been on this planet for eight years and I still don't have a beard. What's wrong? You earn a beard. <laughs> hey, I've been on this planet for 33 years and my beard is really bad. doesn't connect with my mustache. Hey, if it's any <laughs> consolation to you, Stan, yeah. I tried growing a beard in my seven, in my seventies, in my twenties, and it came in, in, in little splotches and it was embarrassing. And I questioned my masculinity, but in that's, my, that's what I'm going 40s when I really had a beard come in I Uh felt like it was worth waiting for oh so so I I might get it in my 40s yeah you will that happens okay it happens with some people that it just takes longer I was worried I would never be a man cougar it's gonna be okay (laughs) and you know my recommendations I think that rendering in pen and ink book by Arthur Guptill is the one must-have book and I've got another half dozen or dozen pen and ink books, most of which are just master's works. But you don't want to miss the teacher, Arthur Guptill, who will explain to you Susan Meyer's reprint uh, or uh, re-edited version of it. Uh, yeah, it takes time. Yeah. What, one little thing, I, I, I think I said this last time, but I think it's worth repeating, is that... Um, the way that I, the way I got good at it f- fast, I think, um, or what helped me improve the speed at which I got good at it, is studying other artists that have really good line control, yeah, or just pencil control in general, not just line, but like tone as well. Like I would take Jeff Watts's quick sketches. His dexterity is just beyond human. So I would take his quick sketches. And they, they, like every line is super subtle and just ha- like goes from thick to thin in the perfect places, light to dark. Um, and then it, he has tone and, and light line or thin lines and thick lines and all that stuff in, in a really good combination. And I would take it and I would try to copy it exactly. I would try to make mimic his lines. And that gave me a purpose. Every Like every line I put down, there's a reason for it, not just those exercises that we prescribe, it, like do a, a page of straight lines, do a page of circles, page of ovals, shade a page of even tone. Like those are useful, but they're boring. So doing a study from a drawing that you think has incredible dexterity and studying that, try to mimic it, I think gives you a purpose. It, it's much more enjoyable. And because of that, you will actually learn quicker. Because you'll actually also know where each type of line can be applied. It's not just like a bunch of lines on a page. They actually have a purpose. Um, so, I did that a lot and I think I saw a lot of improvement in my lines because of that. And this business so. of gripping the pin too tight. I had yeah. that problem for a long time too. And, and eventually, you might overcome it just through pain if you're not already <laughs> going through a lot of pain. But yeah, to exercise... With you say you put on a timer for one minute and draw lines and make it a point for one minute to consciously not grip that pencil too tight and to do that regularly so that you start to get in the habit of the awareness of I'm gripping my pencil tight, I know that I am, so that it doesn't go for 20 minutes or an hour where you weren't even aware that it was happening. That way you can adjust. Immediate feedback though and taking it in very small clumps to heighten awareness first helps. Yeah, or do a page of very light lines. You can't hold it tight. You know, you have to just let the the grav or the yeah, gravity and the weight of the pencil do it for you. Hey, one way one way of getting uh, good with preliminary drawing anyway is to let the weight of the pencil carry it around to be really a, a kind of automatic drawing that is uh you're holding the pencil from further back and relinquishing some control so that you can get uh, 
sort of furtive darting lines around, that's a nice thing too. To yeah. it, it's, it's sort of like working with slushy watercolor where you can't control what it's going to do. Hold <laughs> the pencil from further back and let it almost like automatic writing yeah. take care of itself. So the Ouija board approach. But if you're if you're doing that, what I recommended initially was like take someone who has really good line quality and a good variety of lines and try to copy it. There's going to be certain lines that you just won't be able to get if you're if if you're holding it tight, right? So you you, you just you'll be forced to loosen up and 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 put a light line down. Um, getting the right lines will teach you how to hold it correctly as well. Yeah, I don't know that a, a full podcast on line quality would make sense because this is a podcast, but maybe a workshop. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, let's do one more question. Okay. Are we going to have to make a rule that people who have not watched all 30-some podcasts are not allowed to ask questions because we're going over yeah. old territory? Yeah. When they call to leave a voicemail, there will mm -hmm. be a, a, a test before they're able to, to ask their question. I think it's a good idea. It can be yeah. multiple choice, but I want to write these because I want to see if I can trick them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so there's the next voicemail. Hello, Marshall and Sam. I'm just curious uh, what you think about breaking out of a certain style or a type of art. I draw a lot of one particular type of character, and I'm looking to um, sort of break out of that, and it's only because I'm most comfortable with that and I have started to break out of it, but I'm just sort of looking for that extra push. Anyway, thank you. I love the podcast and keep it up. Breaking um, out of a style, is that it? Yeah. He draws a certain type of character and he wants to, I guess, break out of that because he's, he's comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, I can see why. Well, first you got to choose which style you want to break into. Yeah. So, I guess that would be the first step. The next step would be to find other artists that do that style other style really well those become your new art parents and you start studying those um and you combine them in your own interesting way and there you go <laughs> it sounds so simple all you've got to do is listen in to theory. what dan prokopinko said about choose that style and do it here and he's going to give you lessons on how to play the flute next you, God damn you it, blow in one end and you <laughs> Move your fingers on the little holes. Uh, what's your advice? Well, let me tell you, I'm gonna this is leading me to a little story. Uh, I loved variety of styles. There was a mad magazine artist named Bill Elder who could work in the style of E.C. Seagar, like Popeye and like Archie and like he had his own style. He could work in a different style from comic to comic. And I wanted to do that. And so I developed a few styles as a student. But the one that I got hired to do was the one that for 10, 20 years got so ingrained into me that I could hardly do anything but just a style and a half or or. So, and so when I was closer to 50, I got an opportunity to illustrate a series of magazine articles for Imagine Effects. And I thought, this is my opportunity to do them in different styles. So it looks like five or six illustrators did it. And I had about a month to prepare for it. And I found that experimenting with developing new styles was harder than I had remembered. They were coming out not half-baked, but like one-tenth baked and I had deadlines. So the only pieces in those articles that I was really happy with the style were the ones that were done in that technical illustration style that I'd been doing for decades. The other ones, I needed more time. Now, you may be different. There are some people who do shift from style to style really easily, but I have a feeling they may have been keeping a hand in each one of those styles as the years went on. So this is an argument to train yourself in more than one style and figure like a musician they can a friend of mine who hired studio musicians to record for him came out of the session and told me studio musicians don't swing and he was wrong his group didn't 
they would play the charts accurately, but they would not pour themselves into the music and do any improvisation. Those are two different, two different ways of approaching music. So I would recommend early on to look at your palette of styles. It's even a good idea to arrange them. You can get stylistic matrices. Uh, you can make your own stylistic matrix. This is a cartoon style. This is a full chiaroscuro. This is a full value chiaroscuro. This is a, a more notan type. Those can help uh, if you want to get analytical about it. But if not, go back to what Stan says. <laughs> Wait, you, you said the same thing last season. We, I did. The, we had an episode just, on style. I just figured, hey, I've been talking. For the last week, I've been talking with people that I know that listen to the Draftsman podcast or watch it. Many of whom have tuned out, Stan. I'm sorry to tell you that. Why? But one of them said, look, I'm glad that this is happening, but I just, I can't sit through you guys banter. <laughs> but I've been, I've been getting feedback. And one of my, one of my good friends told me, I said, if you're going to keep this up, you guys got to argue more. Hmm. So I figured that was my little attempt. It was a pitiful attempt, but it was an attempt to uh, yeah. give an alternative view. Well, my natural instinct is always to argue more with I know. you, but every time I do, I get criticized for it in the comments. And I shouldn't care about those people in the comments because they don't like me anyway. But they like you enough to watch your, your podcast. To. Well, maybe once. Arguing is one style of conversation. Yeah. It's the clash style and it's useful. It's, yeah. it's sort of like when uh, I think it was the Greeks that decided that war was so expensive. It was, there was such a toll that it took that instead of actually having war, why don't we have debates? Why don't we have games? And that way, it's still war. It's just that it's less costly. Mm -hmm. And arguing has that advantage. But the difficulty of arguing is that I've seen people who their core style of conversing and their core style of creating is that somebody comes up with an idea and they say, no, that won't work because of this. And the other person says, yeah, but, and it goes back and forth and it sharpens, but it can also wear you out. It's a whole different yeah. style from the way the Cohen brothers work. It's a whole different style from the uh, uh, fellow, fellow travelers journeying on uh, uh, comparing data uh, approach. Anyway, yeah. I, I think that I d I'm not big on the arguing style, but I would like to get better <laughs> really? at it with. And who could I get better at it with than you? Oh, wow. Thanks. <laughs> I think that if, if arguing comes from a place of respect and love, you're not actually trying to hurt the other person with them. Right. Then it's, it's all good. That's um, right. But sometimes it doesn't come across that way from someone who's just listening. That's right. Some cultures are big on it. Some cultures have a, have thousands yeah. year histories in this. Well, yeah. mine. I mean, Russia, you know. Is Russia that way? Yeah. <laughs> this is a funny story. People, like my friends would come over to my house mm -hmm. and like my parents would be in the kitchen talking and, and my friends would be like, what's wrong? Like, yeah. what's, why are they arguing? I'm like, oh, they're just talking <laughs> because even when they're, they're not arguing, Russian people just sound like they're pissed off at each other. <laughs> the language itself. My family was a family of arguers too, and people could not came over and could not believe how politics and religion and arguments in general were just so much a part of the fabric of it. But I, yeah. I OD'd on it and and removed myself from it, and kind of have developed an allergy to it. But yeah. I want to get back in the ring. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll argue more. I don't think so. Yeah, I think, I've I think been, we will. I've been slapped around a little too much. Check out the next podcast, and I commit to arguing with Stan about whatever it is that we're going to answer. <laughs> no, no, because cause people listening to the next episode might not hear this episode to hear that that's what we're doing. Let it be a surprise <laughs> to them. Charlie, just... keep this in. No, if we argue... You're going to be such a nice arguer. You're you're going to make me sound like a dick. Because I'm going to okay. actually argue with you and you're going to argue about how how nice I am and how how much of a great artist I am 
And I'm like, wait, what? That's not arguing. And then I just I just look like a, a jerk. And people in the comments are like, don't be mean to Marshall. <laughs> you are conjuring up my competitive spirit. I think oh, I'm yeah? ready to go. I think we need to move to the... Let's just cut right here. And we're going to go to the next uh, podcast. And we're going to see if this isn't going to happen. You, you, this is real? We're going to argue in the next episode? Yeah, we're going to argue in the next one. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right, guys. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stan started it. Now he doesn't want to carry through. Okay. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> I didn't start be... it. You started it. You no, said but you, you, you started it like six years ago, didn't you? <laughs> I'm so confused. You're winning this argument. <laughs> I, I'm having a ball. Oh, okay. yeah. B Bloodlust has just sort of now risen within me. Okay, Let cool. the games begin. Let the games begin. See you guys in the next one. Hey guys, Future Stan here. The next episode that we were talking about isn't actually going to be the next episode because we're going to continue with the four remaining episodes on recreating art school from home. And then after that, we're going to go back to another voicemail episode that we attempt to argue in. So anyway... I'll see you guys in the next episode, which will be on recreating mentorships from home.